Amen. I don't have that one ready. I didn't rehearse that. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verse 17. Well, over 2,000 years ago, it was a Thursday night. Not much unlike perhaps this Thursday. We're going to read an account of one of the foundational cornerstones upon which Christianity is founded and solidifies it and separates it from all of the other religions in the world. If you profess to be a Christian, regardless of what modern theology would teach, regardless of what fads come and go, there are foundations that you must adhere to or in my opinion, I don't believe you can be a Christian. And it's simply the Immaculate Conception, the virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it ain't over. He's coming back. Now, you throw any of those foundational stones out and you're building a house on a shaky foundation. These are absolute truths that you must believe. It's shocking to see here, see and hear where some denominations, and you know you don't hear me talk about denominations. You're not going to hear me name any of them by name right now. But I'm telling you, there are some that are turning away from the gospel as preached. And they're beginning to do things that the book, the one that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaks against. And we're beginning to condone things in the house of God that God says is a reproach and is sin. But in today's society, we don't want to be told that we're wrong or that we're living in sin. But yet God's word Wants us to make our calling and election sure. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not a scare tactic preacher. Those of you that have been coming here very long. You know that. I want to preach. What the we're about to celebrate. The Easter death, burial and resurrection. We've been liberated from the law of sin and death. Amen. We've been given life in Christ. And it's time we live like it. I said a few weeks ago, in the 41 years I've been preaching, I've only had one sermon the Lord gave me that was in question form. And most of you heard it. And I want to rehearse it to your memory right now. And it was simply this. If you never told anyone that you were a Christian, 
Would they know it by the way that you're living? Or are you living so close to the way that the lost and ungodly are living that when they see you, they can't differentiate you from the vilest of sinners? You see, I'm convinced while salvation is full and free and it's instant, then there is the beginning of a walking out process of having the Holy Spirit to form in you convictions of rights and wrongs, things to do and to not do, and to begin to change outwardly. When there's an inward change, there's an outward manifestation. You don't come to the altars of a repentant heart and continue the way that you lived previously without conviction. Without recognizing that, you know what, what I'm doing is wrong. And I want to challenge you tonight to don't make mockery or make light of what's known as Holy Week. You see, last week, last Sunday, just 2,000 something years ago, Jesus rode into town on a donkey. Now, I was at a big church in Dallas. I think they had about 10,000 members. Brand new building. And I'm in one of those wow moments. And it was Palm Sunday. <laughs> and they gave everybody a palm branch when we come in. And I mean, there was an ocean of palm branches out there going. And about that time, they come leading Jesus in on a donkey. Well, this ain't my first rodeo. <laughs> and when that donkey come down the aisle, and that spotlight threw his Jesus' shadow out in front of him, <laughs> I thought Jesus was fixing to get bucked off. Because I almost had that happen to me at rodeo one time when the spotlight was out there and I was making my victory lap. And boy, that's throw that shadow out there and that horse puts one of those little side moves on and you're trying to wave to the crowd. <laughs> then you're grabbing for leather, you know. <laughs> but what I want you to understand and know is Jesus didn't get bucked off. He came on into town and things began to happen. And this brings us up to chapter 26, verse 17. Now the first day of the week of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where will thou that we would prepare for thee to eat Passover? Now you do understand that Passover is a celebration of the Jewish people being brought out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. That's what Passover is. They're celebrating that. And we still celebrate that. And, and he said unto them, Go into the city and to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Ponder that just a minute. Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. 
And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and he said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and he said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. What he's saying there is, I'm going to die for you. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. It will cleanse you. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Then he goes out with the disciples and they go to the garden. The garden of Gethsemane. And I want to walk you through the events of that evening and Friday very quickly. And we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. But as they went out and went to the garden, Jesus had warned his disciples to pray lest you enter into temptation. And Jesus went away by himself and he began to pray. And as you read the story for yourself, I'm just going to condense it and tell it. He was troubled and he groaned and he was basically doing spiritual warfare. And it says in the word that he, his sweat were as it were drops of blood falling to the ground. Then Jesus went to his disciples and his disciples were sleeping and he said to him again, pray so that you do not enter into temptation. Don't miss a very important point there. He didn't say pray that you're not tempted. He said pray that you don't enter into. Pray that you don't, pray that you don't become a partaker of. Pray that you don't become involved in. Pray that you don't over, become overcome by the temptation that will come. He goes back to pray some more and an angel came and ministered unto him and strengthened him until we hear him say those famous words that it was a total sign of his submission to the will and to the plan of God because you see Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned in the garden he was the lamb slain before sinner, sin ever entered this world. When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't have to come up with a plan B. He knew, being the one knowing it all, looking down the corridors of time and knowing everything that would transpire, he already had that plan of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that John said as he baptized him, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. 
He is that lamb that was slain. He shed that sinless blood. He was that lamb without spot, that lamb without wrinkle, that lamb that's blood was pure and pristine and sinless to cleanse the sins of sinful man of all time. And he relents and he says, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, I really don't want to go through with this, but not my will, but thine be done. You see, he was looking down the corridors of time. And scripture declares that he said, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. Somehow we have allowed our human minds to think that because Jesus was the Son of God that the cross was easy for him. Somehow we've deluded, made light of the pain and the suffering and the shame and all that it cost him. See, that's why he was sweating those drops as though it was blood. Because he was already feeling and knowing what was about to take place. But he stayed faithful to his mission. He stayed true to why he came. And he says, not my will, but thine be done. And about that time, we hear a noise. And there's a big crowd of people coming and Judas, one of the twelve, is leading them. And as they'd already worked up the plan, he identifies Jesus and betrays him with a kiss. Oh, I hope that you and I have never betrayed him with a kiss when our heart is black with sin and we try to pretend that I'm one of his living holy or than thou people when my heart is black in sin. You see Jesus, I mean Judas had already cut a deal. He'd sold it. Sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He approaches Jesus and Jesus knew what was up. Because he said Judas betrayest me with a kiss. I mean, you could have betrayed me a lot of other ways, but a kiss, a pretense of love and affection. And he kissed him. One of the disciples, many believe it was Peter, you know, he was always quick to put his foot in his mouth, but doesn't say which one, but one of them drew a sword and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers and Jesus said, put up that sword. And he healed his ear. Stop and think about that. Here are these Roman soldiers witnessing the one that they had come to arrest demonstrate not only his love but his power by healing this ear. And when he spoke, they fell back. I believe that that would be instrumental in later on when that Roman soldier at the foot of the cross that would cry out, Truly this was the Son of God! Because they had seen with their own eyes 
heard with their own ears the miracle working voice and power of God. So he heals the ear and he's arrested. They take him off to the town, to the courtyards and Peter, he's following from afar and hiding in the shadows of the olives trees and the olive groves and wanting to try to stay close enough to see what's happening and hear what they might be saying but he didn't want to get too close. Finally he comes into the courtyard and there he sits down and among the sinners and three times denies that he knows Jesus. Even cursed one time. Jesus is then blindfolded and he's punched and he's slapped and they mock and make jest and they say <laughs> prophesy on tell us who it was that hit you you think he didn't know the verse that if one smites you to turn the other cheek you think he didn't have the power to right then speak the, vo or the word and Victory would come for him. But it would be a devastating loss for man, sinful man. So he continued to stay true. They take a crown of thorns that they placed on the head that in recent days you've seen on the news where one of the firefighters over there at Notre Dame, the fire that saved the crown that was of thorns that was, uh, was on Jesus' head. And look, they didn't just put a crown of thorns on his head. They took a reed, a stick, and they beat it into the top of his head and blood began to flow. I want to tell you one of the most powerful things that I've ever seen. You see those thorns up there? They're real. Rusty Green brought them to us when we were building this cross in this church. And I remember that man right there, Skeeter Snyder. Had on a pair of leather gloves out there on the front porch as we were building that crown. And through the gloves he was being stuck. And when I walked out the door he's standing there crying and weeping because he was thinking about what was happening to Jesus' head when they were beating that thing into his head. And he's got on gloves. Wasn't easy. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I just want us to understand. What our sins and our redemption cost Jesus. Why did he do it? Because he so loved us. He came with a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. He's come to destroy the works of the evil one. He was on a mission to redeem his most cherished creation the ones that were made in his image that he personally breathed the breath of life into our nostrils spoke everything else into existence but with his hands fashioned man from the dust of the earth And breathed into our nostrils life. 
Let me ask you a question and I want you to be honest. Is anybody in here that you've ever given CPR to a, to a real person, not just a mannequin? Anybody? Get your hand up. Get it up. I want to see you. You can put it down. I know from 28 years on the fire department, long before we had the Amboo bags and all the things that they got now, back when you actually did mouth to mouth. There's no feeling like when you're working yourself hard as you can work, those compressions are going and you're ventilating like you're supposed to, and all of a sudden that <sighs> life, life. Imagine how God must have felt. When he breathed into you, when he breathed into mankind, the life that he would have to die for later on. Peter denies him. They blindfold him. They beat him. And when that happens, his closest of friends, his companions for roughly three and a half years, that had watched and seen and witnessed everything that had been done from the multiplying of loaves and fishes to calling dead forth from the grave. They scattered like quail. They forsook him in his hour of need. They said, you're on your own, big boy. I'm out of here. And they ran. Good Friday morning rolls around. I used to wonder why we called it Good Friday. Because of what was going to take place that day. But I realized the good that came from it. <laughs> they had the mock trial and they constantly taking him back and forth. Between Herod and Pilate. And they don't really know what to do with him. And here they have an old boy that's. The vilest of the vile named Barabbas. And it was the time of the year where they could release someone. And they just knew that if they'd give the crowd the choice that they would pick Jesus, surely they wouldn't want Barabbas. And so when they gave them the choice of who do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas, they said, give us Barabbas. He washed his hands. I don't want anything to do with this. This is wrong. This is wrong. And he released Barabbas. They tied Jesus to a whipping post. And they began to flog him with a cat of nine tails, which I have up here. I have one up here that some people made for me. Now, this is a lot more of a modern version. This one has nails and hooks and things like that on the end of it. Those had stone and bones and and every time that they would whack them with them the meat would tear. The blood would flow. 40 save one. 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Beaten beyond recognition. Shoulders across. Up Galgotha's hill he goes. And 
And he fulfilled those words that he says, no man takes my life. <laughs> I lay it down. But I'll take it up again. He didn't go to the cross kicking and screaming and fighting and wailing and trying to pull away. He voluntarily laid on that cross to die a death, to pay a debt that was not his. It was yours. And it was mine. That's why he endured the cross. Because he knows that Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. Take your elements, if you would, and open them up. <clears throat> There's a wafer on the top. And let me just say this. You're all invited to participate with us in the Lord's Supper, whether this is your church or not. I want you to recognize this. When Jesus administered the Lord's Supper to his disciples, he knew. He knew that they weren't perfect. He knew that in a matter of a few hours, they would not only deny him and curse him, but that they would all forsake him. Yet he served them anyway. But as we prepare to partake, the Word of God says this, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And that's what I've tried to do in the last few minutes, is to help each of us remember what was about to take place. We need to understand that it's a time of reflection and remembrance of the price that was paid. And secondly, it's a time of anticipation and expectation. Because you remember we read there where Jesus said, I will not partake of the fruit of the vine again until I do it fresh and anew with you in my Father's house. I want you to think about this for just a moment. In heaven where time is of, it's not relevant. Where a thousand years is as a day. And we have that marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus himself will serve you. And you'll see those nail-pierced hands. I'm sure there will be scars and pits in his face from where they pulled his beard out. We men, we whine and moan when we have a dull razor. Yet they pulled his out. I believe that we'll be reminded. Not that we'll need it, but I believe that we'll be reminded of the love that he demonstrated. So we look forward to that day. Thirdly, as it's a time of praise and for his victory over death, hell, and the grave. You see, tonight as we walk out of here in a few moments, we're not going to have gone as far as Sunday morning. And when we leave here tonight, I'm going to challenge you 
to try as best you can to put yourself in the shoes of those disciples that had forsook everything and sold out to follow him and witnessed and seen all that they'd seen only to find the one that they'd put all of their hope and confidence and trust in dead. How they must have felt. What thoughts were going through their mind. I'm sure they heard the Romans laugh and jest and mock. I'm sure the devil was busy at what he does. He's the tormentor of the brethren and don't you know he was playing with their minds? Try as best you can to put yourself in that moment, in that place, and in that time. But yet, remember that Sunday's coming. Next, it's a time of self-examination. The word tells us not to eat and drink unworthily. This is a time. Nobody knows you better than you know you, except God probably. And if you're not in the place of relationship with him that you need to be right now, we don't have to make a big deal out of it, although it is a big deal. Right now is a time for you to examine yourself. The word of God says this, for every man to examine himself. And to see if he be of the faith. In other words, if you're in right relationship and you're walking with God. If you're not, now is the time for, it's a personal thing with you and God. Just to ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you and to help you. And he will. You see, Peter failed. But he repented. Went on to be one of the greatest preachers of all time. One day he preached and 5,000 were saved. The next day he preached and 3,000 were saved. You see, that little core group of men went from 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost to in a little over a year, 1.2 million people had come to know and embrace the gospel message of salvation in Christ. And they did it with no televisions, no cell phones, no radio ministries, no churches. They did it because there was a core group of people that adamantly believed in the convictions that they had. And they weren't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. And they shared that word of hope and encouragement with people when the opportunity presented itself. The only way that you're qualified to do that is if you're walking in right relationship with him. So right now, if you would, examine yourself. And it's a time of repentance. And it's a time of commitment. No more just going through life, case sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're his voice in a wilderness. Your hand, you're the hand that's to reach out to those that are hurting and lost. 
want to bow your head for just a second and if you need to repent take care of that business right now would you just go ahead and talk to him my prayers can't save you and I can't repent, repent for you only you can do that the great thing is the Lord knows the thought and the intent of our heart now I trust that you've done that and no one's looking around but every head is still bowed I'm just, from, just because Dennis is nosy and wants to know is there anybody in here that you've repented and asked the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you could I see your hand anyone anywhere yes yes several hands thank you okay look up here at me for just a moment so Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he said this is my body is on the other side and he said this is my blood this is what cleanses this is what appeases God this is the new covenant drink all of it give thanks tonight for your love for us Lord help us throughout the remainder of this holy week and throughout the remainder of our lives to never allow what you went through to not be important and moving to us because it costs you everything. Lord, I pray tonight that as we stir up that gift that is within us, that Lord, that there will be a, a fresh and a new anointing. There will be a fresh compassion and submission to function in our body as our role in the body of Christ that you can use us in a way to bring glory to yourself. We'll be sure to say thank you and to give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Nathaniel has a few real important announcements if you just stay.